Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right, right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is... Move! Get out of there! Move! Dad! Move, Dad! Move, Dad! Get out! Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by... Patrick Green, what is up? And special guest... <laughs> and Mother 9000 from Studio Yutani. Hello, people. How are you guys doing? Doing great. There's a lot to talk about. There is a lot to talk about. And uh, I'm actually a little bit excited. Uh, really, and I contacted Patrick a couple days ago, and I, I also messaged in our, like, our Perfect Organism staff group. Um, I was like, hey, has anybody seen the Covenant short film that released about three days ago i think and uh i watched it and i was like holy shit this is awesome and i was like patrick let's talk about it and patrick was like well let's do a video i'm like no let's do an episode so here we are and, <laughs> and then you're like let's do a live theatrical stage production and i was like let's do a fucking hollywood movie we've already written the script this. i wrote yeah, a there's an opera script premiering on my break yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, this is really exciting. It is a it is a, a really high quality, interesting thing with canonical implications that we're going to unpack tonight. We have the Covey expert, non uh, you know without peer, on the show with us, Clara Mother Nine Thousand, mm-hmm. to help us unpack some of that stuff. Um, and also, I, I think so. This is obviously kind of a break from the Forbidden Planet episodes you've been hearing for the last six months or ten years or however long we've been doing it. <laughs> um, we're going to come back to that material, but we're going to take tonight as a special little opportunity to a um, say welcome back from summer break. We're going to be back to our regular posting schedule. We have a lot of stuff coming up, so get excited about that. And B. We're going to take a moment to just sort of um, acknowledge all of the amazing things going on in the expanded universe, which we will be getting into more on subsequent episodes. Um, and this video, this recent short film being, you know, the most kind of visible recent development. But there's a lot going on. So this is a, a, a nice little breather from Forbidden Planet and a moment to reset and go into the fall, uh, revivified and pumped up to see what's coming up. I'm excited. <laughs> So, Patrick, when did you watch the short film? I watched it tonight. I held off all weekend because we weren't home at all and because I wanted to concentrate on it. And all weekend I was getting these messages from people being like, have you watched this short yet? Have you watched a short yet? I got a text from my cousin about it. I'm like, what? Everybody needs to back off. 
I need to concentrate <laughs> on this shit. I can't just because I, I don't want to watch it like half-assed because there's only so much new material we get, especially that's you know put out by the studio that's canonically sound and like I, I didn't want to have it on in the background while I was like taking a dump. Which to be fair is how I watch most videos. <laughs> this was one where I was like I cannot be distracted, so I waited. You know, the, tonight like the kids were quiet. I was sitting down. I had my uh, you know my food. I watched on, on the your 4K screen. TV. Oh I yeah. <laughs> on surround mode on my fucking sound system and i soaked it all in i got to like pause the screen on the infograph on the graphics that were on display I got to read some of the information in them and i was totally immersed in it and it was worth the wait but i'm gonna go ahead and guess that both of you watched it right after it dropped yeah <laughs> about 20 times or so <laughs> <laughs> i'm shocked clara i'm shocked i didn't it actually took me a couple days i watched it yesterday um and it was really really great i mean at first i wasn't sure like i thought did they produce this like on the dl and and then i was watching i'm like if they produce this on the dl number one it costs a lot of money number two i don't know where any of those props were so i'm thinking if they did this that's like i was like okay if they're doing this if they built this whole set again to shoot this thing what are they trying to tell us and then i was as i was watching i was like there's no way they rebuilt this set this has to be from something else and then clara i was talking to clara and she was like yes this is was a a, like a an an extra that they were going to release on the or they're going to release for the home video promotion but they didn't or something Mm -hmm. yeah i believe it was shot um specifically to promote uh the home video release Back in 2017, and and that's by the way, that's the date that's in the corner um, of the the video as well. Um, I was speaking to, I believe, uh, uh, Maitland Eaves, who's Project Asheron on YouTube, and uh, yeah, he was um, pointing out to me that that was the date of the worldwide release. That's on the on the on the video. So that's the little Easter egg there. Mm. I do think it's strange that. Well, we can get into that later. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a hell of a cliffhanger. So hang on. So 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 let's let, let's give a quick little overview of the context that this kind of came out in, and that might help us get some more clues into into where it came from. Now, I'm not saying you're wrong about the release date or about the the origins of this thing. You 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 definitely sound like you've done your research on that. But the way that Fox is presenting it is uh, in celebration of the two year anniversary. Here's a collaboration with YouTube Space LA, which is this collaborative um, workspace in Los Angeles for YouTubers to get together and to produce film sets and to produce short films. Um, and it was uh, part of like a two year DVD release anniversary uh, event. Now that's not to say it was shot recently. I-, I totally don't think that this that this counts that. But uh, that, to kind of put it in context of where they are as a studio right now and what they're putting out, it seems like they're they're they had this sitting around and they were like, okay, this is a good enough time as any to to put it out. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, either way, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, what I loved about it was it was quiet and methodical, and you guys know what I love. You you guys know what I respond to, and it was in the it was it reminded me of them finding the jockey. Uh, the space jockey room, the derelict. It was just this quiet exploration. And I thought it was really just really well done. And there wasn't a lot of talking you did hear. Um, I don't want to call her mother. Maybe it was mother's voice, but you heard a voice, a computer voice sort of guiding, but you didn't hear it a lot. And it was just, you were just in the environment and it was breathing and you could see things and you could really get a great 
idea of what was in that space that the film never gave you. And so for that, I was like, holy shit, this was amazing. System scanning. Specimen detected. Initializing data collection. Organic matter detected. Species unknown. Gathering superficial data. Specimen is ovoid. Estimated mass, 27 kilograms. Height, 1.22 meters. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I really loved, like, the the pacing. Um, there was a lot of, it, like, a lot of people complained about it being slow, but, you know, but it's it's kind of exactly the same as as alien when they that they walk onto the alien ship you know like everything is being slowly taken in there's not this mad rush um and it wasn't a whole lot based on action or even um visually seeing the alien at all so i think like a lot of the aspects of the video and the way it was produced was very effective um even even down to the the explorer keeping their suit on <laughs> Which is a lot of uh, people complained yeah, about. Yeah, that's interesting. interesting. That was, that was interesting. They've been point. listening. They've been listening. So yeah, <laughs> love it. <laughs> that's a very good point. Um, I, we should probably give like a, a ten second kind of overview of what the film actually entails. But before we do that, I want to just give a quick uh, Clara. Something you said reminded me that one of my favorite things about this was uh, how it ends. So I want to kind of bookmark that for later. But the mm. the you know the the one sentence synopsis of this thing. First off, if you haven't seen it, it's called uh, David's Lab, Last Signs of Life. It's on YouTube. It only has like 45,000 views as of tonight, so go watch it. There's a good chance you haven't seen it yet. Um, and it's not really a spoilery um, plot, so it's not going to matter if we talk about it you know, tonight. But go watch it. Anyway. It's, only, it's only like 11 minutes long. But basically, there is 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 some sort of a, of an emissary from Wayland Jutani who is exploring David's lab on – paradise or on whatever the planet was you know we can call it various things and uh he is making his way through with this um camera on his shoulder uh, and this you know system this ai system that's helping him analyze the drawings that he's finding the organic specimens that he's coming across uh analyzing you know what some of the attributes are of various things like you know like why the neomorph might be aggressive all these different little interesting tidbits and Easter eggs for people who are up to date with their prequel knowledge. And then at the end, of course, he comes across an ovomorph and we get some really fascinating stuff that I hope we can talk about where we get to see inside the egg um, in detail as it kind of comes to life. And, and we get these wonderful macro shots that I think were really fascinating. And then of course the inevitable happens, but the thing I had bookmarked earlier, what I love is that we don't see it. We just hear it. And we get quite a sustained period in blackout where we just have this wonderful sound design to guide our imagination into uh, into fucked up places. Xenomorphic entity identified. And what I loved about, so I don't want to, I feel like there's not really much to give away. It's just more of an exploration into David's lab. But what I did love about it, and I will say, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it, um, go and see it. There's, you see the, an egg there, a very large egg. And what you've never seen in an egg before is sort of the gestational period of the actual facehugger itself. Usually you see an egg, it opens, blah, blah, blah. This was, the facehugger was growing inside of it. So there was time being taken, like it's not reached maturity yet. It was kind of ex exiting the, 
the amnio sack or whatever. And you've never seen that kind of detail in the facehugger. It was really creepy. You didn't really re- understand what you were looking at. You sort of maybe thought maybe it was a limb. You didn't know. And I loved it. I loved that I didn't know what I was looking at. It just felt really alien. Um, I love that the guy was an unknown. I mean, they could have had anybody. They could have had anybody from their film sort of maybe exploring that room first in that suit, but they didn't. They had some unknown guy in there. I just thought it was a really great choice. I had taken um, a few screenshots of what was on happening in the shot, and I was deeply interested in the sort of information that was being displayed. And one of the things that I noticed is that there is evidence that Waylon Yutani was completely knowledgeable of the pathogen. And I was speculating on whether it could be because of um, the the short after the release of Covenant on the home video advent, because there's evidence that David had given the information to Waylon Yutani. But then I remembered some promotional um, material which came out soon after the home video for Prometheus. And there is a detailed infographic about the applications of the the goo and what it can do and evidence that the engineers had previously experimented on uh, other alien planets and killing life forms. And um, there's all the information about the pathogen in there. And and I feel like this short film kind of goes along the same sort of line with the aesthetic that the company knows what's happening and what they're going after they're in fact not really going after the xenomorph, but they could be going after the pathogen. Anyway, <laughs> so so when the screen pops up and there's this image of um, the vial um, and it says known pathogenic substance, um, they have like organism identification as uh, the, the pathogen is like a living viral uh, substance. And um, also... It seems like the AI knows that the pathogen is dispersed through the urns. And um, it also it recognizes the different sorts of like mutations that the um, pathogen can um, uh, produce. And that is also part of the files which were promoted for Prometheus as well. There were outcomes of what could happen after um, the interactions of the pathogen with the people, uh, sorry, the crew that was on the Prometheus. So, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, interesting um stuff that was investigated in, in s- such a short film but there's it's just it's just packed full of like so much stuff that draws from everything from from prometheus from covenant um from like all of this like uh corporate um experimentation on things and and like following what the engineers had been doing and even like evidence of them noticing <clears throat> at least the ai noticing you know uh, David hy- hybridizing um, creatures in an effort to create the perfect organism. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just geeking out a little bit. <laughs> well, there's there's a lot to geek out about, so I'm glad that you are. I, I noticed similarly that there was a, a really long period of time early on in what, was already, what is already a short film spent on the vial, you know? And as it was as it was analyzing it, you're absolutely right. There was already like a lexicon for talking about it, right? Where it was talking about you know the the pathogenesis that you know that that this that this thing could um, unleash and the mechanisms of action, and then going through the artwork and showing the enge- the engineers being mutated, etc. And and it was uh, I feel like lingering so long on that was not a mistake. That was like very clearly Fox's way of of hinting at where this fits into things, and. Um, 
And I guess that that also means that it, it helps this idea that this may have been the first time that Whale and Yutani actually found it and manipulated it themselves directly. And that if that's the case, that this is actually like a real touch point in everything that comes afterwards, you know, the hundreds of years of um, alien lore that is to follow. This is potentially where it actually starts, where it sets in motion. But do you guys think that this short takes place post-Covenant events or pre? I think it's post. I, th- I think it would be post if we're talking about canon. It would yeah. be. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely post. Yeah. Although, although there is no direct indication that it is, but it just seems like it has to be because it's, you know, it's the abandoned um, lab set, which I, I want to say they did such an amazing job recreating because this thing clearly was on a shoestring budget. It was not like a major deal. And it was on this, you know, shared work space, kind of like a uh, like a WeWork environment, but for filmmaking, you know, in, in an L.A. lot. And they recreated it beautifully. It really had the same mm. tone and the same level of attention to detail. Um, it was smaller because of the confines of the room that they were in, but it was very practical. Like there were very few digital effects other than the overlays of AI information on the screen. Um, I was really impressed by like the production design aspect of it, and something that I I, I don't want to derail the conversation. I, I want to re- clear out. I want to revisit what you were talking about in terms of Canada and how this fits into what the company knew or didn't know, et cetera. So I, I want to come back to that. But just briefly, um, I was struck by how it reminded me of places where the short films from earlier this year um, occasionally fell flat for me as a fan and as a viewer, which is that like, even though not much happened in this in terms of storytelling, it was basically the same length as those movies and probably had a kind of a similar production, um, you know, in terms of dollar amount, but something about the tone and the way it flowed to me felt very alien. Like it felt very much like this is unquestionably like a, a major, like a first party release, um, which is unfair to the, to the short films because, a, most of them are, were really, really great, but also they were they were made with $30,000 by fans, you know, so like it's a different animal. But I was kind of trying to figure out what, what it was that set it apart. And I think one, it was the very deliberate slowness of the unfolding, which to me is really important for an alien film and really important even if you consider yourself more of like an aliens person because, you know, James Cameron unspools the events in Aliens very gradually, even though it doesn't feel like it when you take it on a macro level because it's so action-packed. But on the micro level, it takes a long time for things to happen. And I think, you know, of course, in Scott's film, his first film, um, the events are so dilated and spread out that there's this lingering poetry to it, like we've talked about so far in the Forbidden Planet series. I feel like Scott and Rawlings really emphasized that sense of drawing things apart from each other so that our imagination and our dread can fill in the gaps. And I was amazed at how they were able to accomplish that in a film that was only 11 minutes long, but it felt like it was a half hour movie. You know, I felt like I was really sitting there for a while because it wasn't in a rush to get anywhere. And what was great is that in the absence of that rush, that hurrying, there was Jed Kurzel's beautiful score. There was really immersive sound work. There was a lot of time taken in the the fetishization of the objects in the frame, which, and I use fetishization in, in the, and in not in like a, a, you know, a paraphilia sense, but in the sense that um, there was time spent looking at the hypothalamus of a neomorph 
cut in half, like a, like a cross section. Like that to me, like that's something that, you know, I bought the David's drawings books because I wanted to look at that. And in this movie, we are being drawn into it, you know? And, um, and I thought the pace was just great. And I thought the attention to detail was just great. And I think that's why we all agree it was effective. Yeah. I, I really wanted to <clears throat> come back to the point of the enlarged, uh, uh, sorry, amygdala and the underdeveloped hippocampus and how, how that plays a role in um, the actual creature, the neomorph in the film. Like, whoever did this video did their research. They really knew what they were doing when they were even vaguely referencing a lot of this stuff, even just for a second. It all falls into making it all seem very real and very realistic. I was speaking to uh, Brad from Aliens Gateway Station. He is a bit of a science nerd, just like me. And um, we both had looked up what the meanings of these parts of the brain were and what it means to uh, to the, the formation of creatures. And with the hippocampus, um, it's a small organ located in the brain's medial temporal lobe and it forms an important part of uh, what they call the limbic system, which regulates emotions. So uh, that could uh, be part of um, the way the neomorph is like fairly uh, driven in a way to um, detect certain things because that's also linked to uh, things like, um, because they were talking about the underdeveloped hippocampus, um, it could um, affect the neomorph's long-term memory and spatial navigation. That why that's why it's like smashing its face everywhere, kind of like scrambling <laughs> as well. Um, uh, the amygdala is responsible for detecting fear, and it could be a reason why the neomorph would specifically go after certain people because of like the sort of um, uh, pheromones they could emit when they're uh, afraid. That's how they locate their prey. So I think it's like really interesting that they brought these sort of like um, survival animalistic traits out and like being able to look at the cross section of the brain and notice these things, at least the AI noticed these things and bring it to the attention of the company. Um, it's it's really in line with the way we saw the Neomorph react with um, Corinne and Farris and it's also in line with how the Neomorph uh, reacted to um, da David and Rosie and um, the, the whole situation where Aram shot um, the Neomorph. So, yeah, I find it really interesting. It is really interesting. And, and the hippocampus is also something that uh, when, it, when it's damaged can, can lead, for example, to things like Alzheimer's disease and, and memory disorders in general. And I feel like uh, you're absolutely right. There's something uh, in the the formation of self, I think, that the hippocampus functions. And I, and I feel like having hippocampal issues would make the neomorph more kind of like bestial and more um, uh, less of like an individual and more of a part of a collective or something. I thought that was really cool. To a point that you made, Patrick, about this short as compared to the 40th anniversary shorts, this did to me feel like more of a formal, professional short film. And I'm not even talking about the look of it. It didn't feel like a homage film. It felt like a short film. It didn't feel like it was like, okay, let's make something that's winks back to Alien. It didn't need to. It was Alien. I mean, of course, yes, they had the sets 
and props and all of that. And um, it was to tie into something else. But I really feel like uh, they did an amazing job doing it for sure. Um, and yeah, it just it really felt like a, a very satisfying film sort of with a beginning, a middle and an end. But it didn't feel like it was this big homage thing that the shorts were, you know. Totally. It, it, it didn't feel like it was trying to say something that has been said before. It was saying its own thing. Hey, you know, while we're talking about the shorts, uh, there's a little bit of fan mail that I wanted to read by uh, our friend Kradon uh, over in Ukraine who sent me this uh, a while ago. And I haven't found like a, an opportunity to read it yet, but I feel like this could be a nice uh, moment to. So uh, as everybody knows who listens to the show, I was like really into ore. I think that that's just a great one. And he uh, wrote to say that he um, <laughs> he thinks that I'm, I'm wrong and that it was boring and that his favorite is uh, Harvest because it is the only one that scared him. He said the ending was terrifying and, uh, and you know, the story made him believe that everything was over and then bam, everything's fucked up. The android smiling creepily and the alien and the alien pushing its tail through her uh, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't care that it's a rehash. Uh, it, it's it's exciting to him. So I, <laughs> that's a piece of fan mail that I wanted to read for a while. And I'm glad we had an opportunity to do so. But yeah, I, I agree. It, it didn't feel like a it didn't feel like a it didn't feel like a fan production. It felt like a Hollywood like a Hollywood first party thing to me. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I really did like the amount of effort that they went through. Like there's little things like if you if you're trying to look at continuity things don't match up like the suit that he's wearing has Aragai six patch on it you know but obviously they tried to not focus on it in the the short because they tried to make it more about the egg and the interaction with um uh, the lab and the ai and i, I really liked the, the very brave choice of having this disembodied voice be the other other entity in the room that it really kind of echoes that sort of like loneliness of being on um, planet four and, and being a lone investigator. Uh, the dependence of um, having a technology there to survive. So you've got, you know, the suit to be able to breathe the air or at least think you, you need the suit to breathe the air. Um, you've got the uh, cameras identifying everything in front of you. So you don't accidentally, you know, knock over something and, and kill yourself with poison but there's all of these things that we're, we're so dependent on and that's kind of like what scott's um idea of um how we've, we've got a doomed future if we're being 100 percent dependent on ai and then we've got this situation where this explorer is in this place and he's kind of being told everything but at the same time it doesn't make him any safer and i, and I really kind of like that so yeah i think it was really cool me too. Although I have a couple things that I would improve about it if I if I if I could. One is I would like a for this to be longer, <laughs> which I know is sort of like <laughs> kind of like not really a complaint. I just want more of it. It would have been nice to get more of a sense of that isolation that you're talking about, Clara, because I agree that the the things that to me are most psychologically interesting about it um, are, is that is that it's like where is everybody else? Why is he completely alone? As far as we can tell, you know, why why is there nobody else coming to check on him? There's no transmissions coming. Um, it just seems to be this recorded video. And uh, like, how did he get there? It would have been nice to, I'm not saying we need to know how he got there, but it would have been interesting to me to see him making his way through the derelict in the dark, um, you know, stumbling along. I also think it would have been more interesting had the entire thing be shot from first person, because I think it would have increased a sense of who is this? Like, whose eyes am I looking through? It would have made it a little more personal and a little more claustrophobic. And I think that the sequences that to me were the most effective were the sequences where, oh, other than the sequence that I'm about to get to, 
inside the oven more. But I love the first person sequences where he's scanning things and he's looking at what things are. And I found that it lost a little bit of its power for me when it showed his face because I was able to see, oh, okay, it's just some random white dude working on behalf of Wayland Dutani. You know, it's just it's just some some company person. Um so, you know, not not a big deal, but I, I think it could have been more powerful had it been shot entirely from first person all the way through to the end. You know, I think that would have been really cool. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to just touch on that I keep kind of hinting at is I just love the interior shots of the Ovomorph itself. I love the way that it's shot. And Jamie, you were just talking about this too, but I, I love how because of the camera, like wavelength that they read, the light wavelength that they're using for that camera to see inside the the skin of the, of the egg, um, there was this beautiful green, weird color to it and you heard you heard the liquid sluicing around again that really good sound design and um and i agree with what you said jamie it, it's part of why it was powerful is because it was hard to figure out what i was seeing but i was intrigued to look and it's like that's the whole point uh, of, of why overmorphs are effective as you know as uh, weapons of entrapment is because they are captivating enough that you can't help but get closer to them and i found myself doing that like as i was watching it on my beautiful new television i found myself like creeping forward like i was a fucking dolly shot creeping towards the tv looking to see like what am i what am i seeing what is this what you know and before it was before i knew it was too late um and i I love that sense of lingering on mystery you know yeah i really did enjoy those um those internal shots of the egg um showing the development of the the facehugger, because like I guess uh, a lot of assumptions are that the facehuggers are just ready to spring out. Um, and and yeah, I really enjoyed having a look inside um, the egg because we haven't really seen inside the egg. We've we've been privy to seeing what it was like inside um, a gestating uh, backburster when they had the covenant um, in vitro. Yeah, and I still I still do that sometimes. Like I, I have that the VR kit that they put out for it, and it's like the fucking coolest thing ever. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, thing. so to look inside that egg is really awesome. Uh, plus, like the the first alien egg was kind of translucent in Alien as well. So just before Kane gets his uh, face hugged, I'm I'm constantly always just staring at the egg and like looking at what it's doing, all of this stuff oozing up through it, and um, the, the light coming from the back. And like I, I know that Ridley Scott's in there with his hands, like shaking things about. <laughs> but but it just looks so good and i feel like they kind of captured that in this short um but in a different way using the technology that we have now and yeah it was it was really enjoyable now is there anything that didn't work for you guys uh it's a covenant suit <laughs> interesting um, yeah i, would I didn't say, even pay attention i loved yeah. it i loved how it looked it reminded me of the original film yeah uh, it, it just doesn't work canon wise for me that's the only in, in um <clears throat> feedback i have for for that aspect um and i also um didn't like uh the opening shot it was it was very similar to um alien alone so i don't know who the director was of this particular shot um but i feel like there's just too much repetition like you said i would have preferred something first person or even like mostly gopro like going between the two gopros the stand and the one on the back of the Explorer, I think it would have been very interesting to see it that way. Yeah, I'm a little confused about the GoPros because there was the one on the shoulder mount that we see all over Covenant, and then and then there, there was like a second handheld unit that he went on to put on like a tripod, right? And those yeah. were those were two different camera units, correct? Yeah. Yeah. See, to me, like that He's feels only one in his hand, and then one on there was one on his backpack, 
and then there was one on the, the tripods. I think there was like three. It was a three. Yeah. It feels like an ad. <laughs> it feels like a GoPro ad. I know. And it's funny because when we went to LA and, and saw the suits in person, like it's literally just a fucking GoPro and a camera mount. It's, it's, it's like that, um, overt. I think, uh, it, to me, like there's, it, it would have been just more powerful, like I was saying earlier, as a as an entirely first person experience with the AI sort of guiding some sort of a holographic um, representation of what's going on on like the inner visor of the helmet or something. Um, that 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 to me would have been a big a big uh, room for improvement because the, here's the thing: when you're working within such a restricted medium as a short film, you have to make really bold storytelling decisions to to justify the economy of the format. To me which is a, a big overstatement, but I, I really mean it. I feel like a short film has to have something really specific that it's trying to get across or else it just kind of comes across as a vignette. If it's just a vignette, if it's just sort of like a glimpse of, uh, into a moment in time, then that's fine, but that's not really what an alien short film should be about. An alien short film should have something kind of thrusting it forward, I think. And to me, like the, what, what I loved about this was this idea that we were getting to revisit David's lab and we were getting to see um, a, another side of the egg but I would have liked to see this additional thrusting component of a first-person thing that's claustrophobic and scary as shit. I mean, like, you know, we were re-watching um, uh, Chernobyl recently, and I was thinking about how, you know, in the, in the end of the second episode when the flashlights go off, like, to me, that is, like, such an alien moment. I'm, I, I was so scared that I, like, shrieked a little bit. And uh, to me, that it would have been nice to have moments like that in this. And we kind of get one at the end when the lights go off and we can hear what's going on. Um, but you know, it, those, those moments where you're kind of trapped in one perspective and you can't see, uh, you can't turn your head around to see what's just around the corner, I, I think is, is really a great device that alien films use, um, too infrequently actually. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, I, I loved 85% of the short. What I didn't love was that it did what all of those short films most Almost well, almost all of the short films did well, except for Or, which Or and Harvest are my favorite. Or probably is my favorite now, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, I just didn't like the the egg, the face hugging. I just was like, how many fucking times are we going to see this? Like, is it to me? It it was this idea that, and I don't mean this as an insult to anyone, but I just felt like, is this what people think? People who are in control think what fans think alien is that it's just, Oh look, a face hugger. Oh look, a face hugger. Oh look, the eggs open. Oh look, he's looking in the egg. How many times are we going to see this? Seriously. How many know, times I are know. we going to see this? And then he fucking I, kneels by it too. I was like, come on. Like, I just was like <laughs> alien. Like people forget what makes alien alien. And I even think you guys from, you know, as much as you love covenant, what I know that what you love about covenant don't re doesn't really have anything to do with those tropes. Like, what you guys love about Covenant is is far more intellectual, you might say. And I just feel like I just felt like okay, if they release another short film where they someone's face hugged or someone's chest bursted, I'm gonna fucking shoot myself um, because that, <laughs> like like that is I'm not what these, my own face like that <laughs> that is not what these films are about. That is never what these films have been about. And it just feels like this. It, it was just it's just this large disconnect between studio and fan like oh look let's yeah let's something good face hug joe like it's alien like no that's not what alien is that is not what alien is and i would have <laughs> i would have much rather him taken that egg and put it in a crate and have it sh and all of a sudden the last thing you see is a 
a transcript or or something saying uh, organism shipped to Wayland Yuhan. Wayland Yutani headquarters. That would have been like, oh shit, what are they doing? As opposed to, oh look, he just got face hooked. Like, I don't know. It just feels lowest common denominator to me, and it felt feels insulting. But and I don't, I don't think that they mean it to be insulting. I just think it's people who don't know how to connect to other people, and they think this is this is what makes alien alien, and it's just not the way things work. I so. think I finally understand what you mean because, like, for for the longest time. <clears throat> I, like I, I'll be honest, I just did what you don't like about the tropes and stuff, and I was like, I, I don't get it. Like that, these are like the alien staples and and things like that. But I think like just the way you described it just then, it just clicked for me, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's what he meant. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I fucking agree with you. <laughs> I really do. It's just oh, I'm sorry it took me so long. <laughs> No, it's okay. I mean, I, what I love, what the things that I love about Covenant are what makes Alien Alien, the fear in Ferris's eyes, the the mystery of David singing in the corridors. I mean, that's fucking scary. Um, and the things that I didn't love about it were the things that I felt like, well, this doesn't make it an Alien film just because you're putting it in there. Um, what makes, for me, what's always made Alien Alien is the mystery, the drama, the fact that you don't know. You're not sure what's happening. Um, you're seeing what, things you haven't seen before. And I mean, and again, largely that short is things I haven't seen before. That set is fucking gorgeous. I could have spent an hour in that set just pouring over all of those those images and, you know, the props. And it was it's just amazing. Totally. And, and uh, I, I just want to give a brief shout out to the little Easter eggs of Take Me Home Country Roads and Nature Boy, which both got some airtime there. You're talking about David singing and the voice ringing off the corridors. And that's a really um, it was nice to have those little moments. Yeah, I totally agree with you that the weakest parts of any of these things and especially some of the some of the um, the, the Tongle films that people liked a lot, bec- like they liked it because there was face hugging and because there was somebody, you know, with uh, with the fucking chestburster coming out as a countdown was happening. And I was like, why? Like that to me, that that is the easiest possible route you can take and the most homage of any possible thing you can make take something within the lore and spin it off in a different direction. And I think that's why among fandom, the things that have the most traction are things like, uh, you know, when, when, uh, like for example, labyrinth, like a, a comic who, it, it, which, which takes these pre-established tropes that we know and spins them out in directions that are way freakier and stranger than we could have ever, you know, thought that w- weaponizes these tropes. I will say this. I, I, I kind of had become a little bit, um, lost with as soon as he like knelt down by the Ovomorph, I was like, oh fuck, come on, because we were like getting all this time to look at it and to like ponder it and to go inside and to like poke around, and it felt really um, like meditative and interesting and and um, and different. But as soon as he like went over to look at it as it was opening up, I was like, are we really gonna fucking do this again? Like, is this re- is this wonderfully different short going to end with another face hug? And it did, but what saved it for me was what happened next, which was different and which was something we haven't seen before, which is, of course, the, you know, the video glitched out and then we got this little audio tour of the early life cycles of, of Xenomorph. And I found that, you know, at least it somewhat 
ended on a note that felt mysterious and interesting and unexpected. If it had ended with him just getting face hugged and another fucking CG face hugger, and then he just like falls over and his helmet cracks, I would have been like, oh my God. So at least, you know, it ended with a little bit of an unexpected twist. And, you know, and I think um, it was done deftly, although I totally agree. It would have been nice to have something a little more kind of wholly novel, I think. Yeah, I I do agree with that. I, I do like the fact that they kind of, <clears throat> they didn't show it, uh, the the face hugger at the end. It was it was a, a different choice because obviously with the limitations of what um, practical uh, stuff they had on, on that set, etc., and what they needed to do and what make, made the, the short believable was um, cutting it out at the end. So, yeah, I appreciated that. I didn't Lovely. like the mummified um, engineer head on the table. It looked like it was just wrapped in toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a little weird. It actually, you know, it makes me wonder, Claire, you might have more insight into this because you've seen it at least 17 times more than I have at this point. <laughs> I'm wondering what percentage of the props in there were real and which ones weren't. I'm assuming some of them came from the the exhibition that recently ended um, at at USC, and I know some of them probably um, were just large form printouts from artwork that Matt and Dane did. Um, but I'm I'm wondering if, if what 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 percentage of those would you say were newly created for this, and which ones were just reused assets? Um, a lot of that stuff was packed up from the set. At the time, um, as, as far as I know, this set recreation was the one from two years ago. Um, and I don't know whether it's a permanent fixture in the YouTube space LA, um, but I do know that Adam Johansson um, personally packed all of this up on the last shooting day on the set. And I believe it was the advent trailer that they were shooting. Um, and yeah, just, just about everything that you saw there were the the practical props and, and you, you could see that they're a bit discolored and a bit worn um so i don't know how soon after uh, this was like re uh, recorded and and like all that stuff was shipped over from australia to to the us um i i can even see there's a bit of discoloration on the neomorph brain there's a bit of dust everywhere so i'm sure that they had to like kind of restore a few things so that it would be shootable uh for the the whole short um they did have to redraw some of the stuff dane was telling me that a lot of the stuff got stolen off the the um, david's lab um set so they had to like reprint out or redraw a whole bunch of drawings um so they could do this uh set up again um but all of, all of this conversation was in regards to something they were rebuilding the set for a convention um and it was a in the same year as Covenant. So um, th- that's why I was thinking the short was actually shot two years ago, but then it only got released now. Yeah, that's right. So so this was not newly, I keep forgetting this is not newly filmed. So, so the USC exhibition has nothing to do with it. You're right. So part of me though wonders if some of that aging might've been like an intentional patina to show the passage of time, like showing that the brain had gotten yellowed and you know, that kind of stuff too. It's interesting yeah. how little we know about this thing. Isn't it weird? Like, I, we have no clue who actually shot it. Uh, we don't know any of the personnel behind it. We don't even really know when it was made. We're kind of trying to guess based on available things that we have access to. Um, as as we, like, hopefully learn more about it, 
over the coming weeks, I'm sure we'll you know tell people. But it's 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 interesting, a very secretive little drop to fans that came as a real gesture of goodwill. Even the way that they positioned it in social media channels and on the YouTube caption is like this is just a little something to celebrate the two year anniversary of the release. It's just like a little thank you to everybody. But it's also like a, a legitimate short film that has implications for the canon of the franchise. And I think we're really lucky that we had it dropped out of the blue. And that leads me to um, what we can close with, if that's okay with you guys, which is just kind of a little discussion on all of the other nice things that have been dropping left and fucking right over the last few months in the expanded universe, um, half of which are sitting on my desk right now taking up space because I haven't had a chance to get through any of it yet. Um, although I have been spending quite a lot of time with the Rinsler book and absolutely loving it. And uh, and I guess I, I want to go uh, go to you guys. And, and what are some of the things that you've been you know reading about or watching lately? that uh, you want to tell people, you know, you want to give a little recommendation for. Um, I only just received my making of Alien book, (laughs) even though I had the the very lucky chance of interviewing J.W. Rinsler on Alien Day for that. Um, I'm still just making my way through it. I'm listening to the audiobook for Alien Isolation because I I can't read two things at once, so I can listen to the audiobook and also read the making of at the same time. Um, and then, oh, there's uh, there's comics coming out very soon. Um, I know well, there's... Rising Threats due to come out um, later on. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, issue number one of Aliens Rescue just dropped uh, recently, and, uh, and it's good. I like it more than uh, than the previous Brian Wood outing, which uh, is so forgettable. I can't remember what the hell it was called right now. What was the What was the Zula Amanda one that just finished the four issue one? Not Resistance. Uh, oh yeah, it's um. <laughs> I can't remember what this was called. I read this. Is it resistance? It's resistance. It is resistance. It's it is resistance. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Resistance, which which I, I actually thought was awful. I, I'm going to be totally. Up. We didn't do a review of that one, um, and I I'm going to give you my official <laughs> review right now, which is that I thought it was absolute crap, which is unfortunate because Defiance was by and large great, uh, but I think that uh, that Resistance was just not good storytelling um, on any conceivable plane uh, that you could judge a, a visual story on um but rescue seems to be off to a better start uh, i think the artwork is really interesting um it's a little it, it kind of takes me back to some of the 90s dark horse things kind of the po the post uh you know like, like some of the stuff that's coming out in like you know between 92 and 96 uh, it has that same kind of a style where it's very kind of action heavy and bright and um it's uh it's cool so you know if, if you don't already have a a uh a pull box at your comic shop set up. You can get it online or you can get it um, wherever comics are sold and it's off to a good start. And again, it's Brian Wood who, although he's been a little hit and miss in my opinion, has been mostly hit and uh, and I think it's worth um, investing in. You know, I have the the um, the Keith DeCandido novelization of Isolation, which uh, I should probably also get an audiobook, but I'm, I'm reading another audiobook now too, so I don't really have a chance to, to read it. But uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. I just started it the other day. And that is another thing that, uh, for some reason, I, I, you know, I knew it was coming out, and then when it actually shipped, I was like, "Holy shit!" It came out like a matter of days after the Rinsler book, and the Rinsler book is something that we've been talking about, you know, so much in the lead up to it, and we've, you know, had all these interviews. Clara did this wonderful one as well um, with him, and it's and it's just an, an enormous book that has e- involved the efforts of so many people with whom we interact regularly, you know, film historians, 
um, set photographers. It's it's this really massive thing. And really, Scott sat down for an extended interview for it. And um, it's and, and that's something that if if you don't have that, make sure you pick it up because that is just indispensable for any Alien fan. And it's I, I think it's discounted on Amazon already for like thirty five forty dollars. Um, just just pick it up. It's worth having. It's a beautiful large coffee table style book too. Uh, to me, like the most essential Alien books released in the last two years, other than Cold Forge, which I fucking love would be The Making of Alien by Rensler and David's Drawings by, by Dane, Matt, and company, because I think those are yeah. two wonderful different sides of Alien fandom. To answer your question in terms of like what am I getting into that's sort of on the peripheral is the Rensler book. It's amazing. And David's Drawings. And by the way, we're giving away a copy of David's Drawings when we reach 10,000 likes to our Facebook page. Not just David's Drawings, but uh, the Essential Comics book and a couple other amazing things. So 10,000th like, or after we get 10,000 likes, we're going to randomly choose someone to send it to. So I forgot yes. about that. That is, that is an ongoing get. I remember when you, when you suggested that I was like, it's going to be a long time, but it's going to be exciting because we will have so long to get pumped for this 10,000 number. So here we go. This the race is on like us on Facebook and you might get a bunch of fucking stuff. Yeah. And the Rinsler book, by the way, in three really years, great. I haven't really, I'm just kind of looking through all the pictures and I haven't really started reading it yet, but I'm really excited to, and I'm excited to kind of have a, an episode covering that book or two. Oh yeah. You know, Jamie has a, a sad backstory with the Rinsler book. If you want to tell, tell oh everybody my God. about it. Yeah. So I'm at San Diego Comic Con. I'm at the San Diego Comic Con and I buy the book for 60 fucking dollars and I'm all excited and I got my Nostromo pins and I go into Hall H because they have the big dark crystal thing that I got, you know, a friend of mine got me VIP pass. I'm up front, right in front of the stage. It's awesome. I have my book. I'm sitting with all the Henson people because dark crystal is what I do when I'm not doing alien and, and uh, blade runner. Um, Dark Crystal's all I'm doing now right now. <laughs> but uh, so the the panel was like two hours. It's really exciting. It's over. I get up. I leave. I'm walking. I'm like, I'm walking. I'm walking. I'm walking. I'm going back into the exhibition hall. I'm like, something feels weird. I'm like, oh, my book. So I go all the way back to Hall H and I talk to a staff member and they walk me in. And I'm like, oh, I left my book here in a white bag. And of course, it's all filled up because I think... Uh, Game of Thrones is next and it's all full. I mean, the whole H is fucking huge. Thousands of people. I think it fits 2000 people or more. And I go sort of to the area and there are all these people sitting in the seats that I was sitting in before. And, um, I'm like just looking and I sort of ask like, Hey, has anyone seen a book? And no one says anything or even kind of gives me any eye contact and the staff members with me. And so I lost the book. <laughs> And, and then, then and then you're like boy. looking in the background and you just see this distant skexis like walking away carrying a suspiciously <laughs> large package. <laughs> <laughs> we got his essence. Um, <laughs> um, but um, so anybody but, who buys this book will realize how ridiculous this is because Jamie, this book is fucking twenty pounds. This book is it like is. this is not an easy thing to forget about. It isn't. Thing. It isn't an easy thing. But I was sort of wrapped up in the moment. Mark Hamill, Taryn Edgerton, Lisa Henson, Louis Terrier. I mean, I was sitting in the middle of all these Henson writers and people on the new Dark Crystal show and blah, 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 blah. And so I was on cloud nine. So by the time I sort of came back down and I realized I'd forgotten the book, but I had the pins, the Nostromo pins that were only exclusive to San Diego Comic-Con 
in my pocket. Thank God. Yeah. Um, so I kept that. And then, but I was, I was pissed. That's 60 bucks just right down the drain. And so, but then I'd say a week later, I saw it on Amazon for $40. No, less than that. And I bought it $30. It was on Amazon for 30. That's crazy. Oh, this book is like geez. worth so much more than that. It's crazy that it's it that crazy. cheap. It's, it's such a good deal. Well, I think um, Amazon it, buys in bulk to sell. Yeah. Amazon does a lot of weird shit. Uh, I, I, before we wrap, I want to make sure people know if, if you don't already know this, Clara mother 9,000 makes incredible jewelry at her studio that you can commission. You can get one offs. Um, I have a, uh, an amazing covenant pin that she made that, uh, I want to just give a special shout out for. So, uh, so Clara, how do you recommend people get a hold of you for commissions and things like that? Oh, you can stalk me on just about any social media. <laughs> um, but you can see me as on Twitter as Studio Utani or on Instagram. Or you could just head to uh, the Studio Utani um, blog. So it's just uh, utani.studio. And I think I've pinned the um, post to the top of the blog. So it's one of the first things that pops up. So as well as the pins um i made a ring recently as well for tim Kulin at aliens gateway station um a chestburster ring and i i handmade that out of uh wax i carved it and then i cast it in sterling silver so yeah hit me up for alien jewelry stuff <laughs> and it, it looks absolutely incredible so uh i will be coming back to you for more work soon Ooh. oh and just before we go i just want to pimp out again um the alien rpg which is coming out in december so I think the pre-orders may be closed. Let me just check right now. Alien. I think they extended uh, them at least once, right? Yeah. So so what happened is that you can go to the Free League shop and still do the pre-order, or some game websites will allow you to pre-order through them. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's going to be so much fun to play that game, and, and I, I can't wait. It is awesome. And so so here's the deal, okay? So pre-order the RPG and also like us on Facebook, and you might get not only David's drawings and a bunch of other shit from us, but a bunch of other mysterious shit from this RPG as well. So those are the two the two homework Ooh. assignments for everybody listening. <laughs> no, I got to say, I, I've been playing it with my cousin, too. We have the, you know, you, when you pre-order, you get a downloadable PDF of one of the, set, the game sets. And, uh, and it is like, it's so fun. And I really recommend people pick it up and uh, and... When you do, reach out to us and we can have some massive fucking Rule 20 games together. Um, and I guess that's that's about it for me, unless you guys have anything else you want to throw in there. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Clara. Hopefully we'll, you can come back on again soon. You're awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you too. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, thanks, everyone. And uh, we will be back soon. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.